Welcome to the Fabricators Coach Podcast. We believe that every fabricator deserves to have a business that not only makes the money, but also gives them time to enjoy it. In each episode, our goal is to share real information that you can take action on and use today. Information that, if you will use it, can help you reduce the chaos in your business, help you make more money, and help you get your life back. All right, well, I think uh, at this point, uh, we may have one or two more pop in, um, but let's go ahead and get started. Uh, get this get this thing on the road here. I want to thank all of you for uh, spending part of your Thursday with us. Um, this is something we try to do uh, each month. We take our articles and turn them into um, you know, webinars and then turn the webinars into podcasts. Uh, the, the whole idea is to, to, um, to give you folks some, some tools to help you improve your business. We'd like to see you uh, make more money, you know, reduce the chaos, make more money, and, and get your lives back. Uh, I think it's important that you have a business that not only makes you money, but gives you time to enjoy it. Otherwise, what's the point? So we, we put these together just to hopefully give you some good tools and techniques to keep, get, move you from the phase of working in your business all the time to where you start to work on your business. Uh, so that's that's a big part of, of what we do and, and why we do it. The way these uh, sessions are set up, uh, we're scheduled for an hour today. Um, I've got, for those of you who've been here before, you know that I've only got about maybe 30 minutes of prepared content. I like for these to be good discussions where we, we exchange ideas. I think the experiences, the questions, the, the suggestions that you folks have got are, are very valuable. I think it's really good for all of us to learn from each other. I'm, I'm not the only expert in the room. We've all got something to offer. So I'll be asking questions. If nobody answers, be prepared. I'll call on you. So, uh, those of you who've been here before know that I'm, uh, I'm not shy about that. Um, but what I will do, too, is we're scheduled for an hour, but once that hour is up, I'll leave the meeting open for a little while after that in case somebody has a question that they kind of wanted to ask privately or they didn't think about as we went through a certain section. Um, so we'll do, you know, we'll stay online for a few minutes afterwards in case there's some questions like that. Okay, well, let's go ahead and get uh, cranked up here. I'm going to share my screen so you guys can, can see the notes we're working off of. So a quick agenda, as I said, we, uh, we're going to talk about our most recent um, Sleepy Rock Gazette article. came out uh, just the first of this month. Introduce myself real quick. For those of you who don't know me, um, I've got over uh, 40 years experience in manufacturing and business and coaching. I've worked literally with hundreds of companies in a lot of industries, uh, most of it in the U.S., a little bit of international work small companies and large. Uh, my first project in this industry was a little over 20 years ago. I've owned my own brick and mortar business in a different industry. So those of you who are owners, I understand uh, what that's like, how lonely it can get at times. Uh, I've also run a countertop shop for a few years. So I understand a lot of the challenges that everybody on this call is dealing with. So that's just a quick thumbnail sketch of, of my background. The article for July, um, if you haven't read it yet, you can go to fabricatorscoach.com, select blog, and, and look at it there. Or you can go to the director of the slipperrockgazette.net, select their current issue, and there's several different ways you can get the article or look at the entire issue electronically online. Um, if you're interested in any past articles by me or anybody else, Slippery Rock does a great job of um, archiving their past issues. So in their menu bar at the top, you select archive. 
you can go back, you know, years and look at all the different articles each month that a lot of folks have written. There's a lot of good information there. I really advise if you've got the time to, to go do a little bit of research, see what's out there. Okay. So I'm wondering, I'm, I'm sure nobody here has challenges in their business, but when I wrote the article, I got to thinking about a lot of the things that that I ran into running a business and that I work with all of my clients on. So I just picked a handful of things that I've seen recently with clients. Um, here's one install crew got to the job. They forgot the sink, or maybe they pick up the wrong, the wrong sink. No, none of you ever have that happen. Um, splashes for the job didn't get loaded on the A-frame. And then, you know, of course they left without them and, you got an incomplete install or somebody's got to make a quick trip out there and drop them off and hope they don't break in transit and that sort of thing. Um, probably doesn't have to any of you folks, but a salesperson or a customer makes a change to a job after a template. You're already starting to cut stone and somebody wants to make a change. And if you've got salespeople in your business, I've uh, got one folk, one one client who really is struggling. He's got some some good, powerful salespeople generating really good work and good business, but man, they want their jobs to go right now. They don't want to wait for anybody else. They think their jobs are more important. So that's um, that that's something that that we run into quite often when you got salespeople. Uh, PPE that's getting to be a really big issue, especially with silicosis. Trying to get folks to to do what they need to do to to stay safe and take care of unsafe conditions in the shop. Um, and I know all of you know exactly where all your remnants are, right? They're all tagged, they're all in the right spot, and you can go grab them uh, at, at, the, at the drop of a hat, can't you? Uh, anybody here that doesn't have some of these issues or anything like that? Shelby, I know your shop just runs really slick. You don't have any of these problems, do you? Every single one of them. <laughs> okay. The forgetting the sink happened an hour ago. Yep. The job was an hour out of town. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, right. my business partner is on that install right now, and he is driving back the hour to go get it. And then turn around, drive another hour back out, take it out there. Yep. Mm -hmm. Understood. What's the um, what do all these things have in common? Anybody see a pattern here? Communication. Communication is part of it. What else? Checklist. Checklist. Checklists. Uh, a lot of it comes down to just your processes, right? Systems. Okay. Processes. And these are all things that will that'll either have a negative effect on your customers, negative effect on your profitability, and probably doesn't help your sanity a whole lot, does it? A lot of little things that people don't really think about the effect the entire experience of the customer is having. Absolutely. Yeah. That, you know, if your customer standing there watching your, your team install that top right now, and they know that somebody had to go drive two hours to go pick up the sink, that customer's wondering, okay, what else is going to go wrong? Yeah. Yeah. They may not say it, but they have a feeling of discomfort that they're feeling. That's where you. That's where you run into that. Uh, you know, one of the one of the things. The two words is two words you never want to hear on an install where a customer is standing there watching things is uh oh, because <laughs> all of a sudden the magnifying glass comes out. Yeah, I think these are pretty pretty common challenges in the business in the industry. Uh, in fact, I think that uh, I know I hit some hit some uh, uh, hit some some sore spots with some folks. I had a guy 
yeah, yeah, put some of these, a handful of these and some of the emails promoting the webinar. And I had a guy email me, he said, and I'm, I'm reading the quote right now, you just articulated the top six issues that cause shop owners to experience brain damage and early dementia. Nicely done. <laughs> but, uh, Ed, um, there's, some, there's something we, we don't talk about is there's no consequence to the employee because these days you can go through a process of writing them up and letting them go if they do it all the time and he can walk down the street and get a job. So there's no, like, nobody's sort of scared to lose their job. You yeah. know what I mean? But, yeah. I mean, there's also that aspect, which we don't talk about because, you know, you want to, you know, a, a guy keeps screwing up. I mean, I have it all the time. And you just can't. And then when you try to find one guy like him, take him months if you're lucky if you find one guy. Yeah. So you can't. And that's, only, and that's only one of the reasons these problems are so hard to, to solve and to keep solved, right? What other reasons are, are, I mean, it's not like it was 10 years ago, hey, get this right or you're fired. You can't do that anymore. Um, so what else is, uh, is, what are the other challenges that you have in trying to solve these problems? Why are the problems happening? Trying to figure out exactly why they're happening. Is it this person just doesn't like it there? Is he? retarded which is never the case but that's what everyone tries to go to first but figuring out why it's happening and how to keep it from happening <clears throat> yep that's one of them eric what are what are some other challenges in, in trying to solve these problems yeah i mean i, I think a, a lot of it has to come down to just finding the right people to put in the right positions to but it we we just recently this last week i think we've had three pieces break uh, on the install on the job site um, when typically the installer is breaking something, you know, we may have three or four a year. Now we've had three in the last week and it just, it just seems to be popping up. Uh, we, this, just this morning, I, I saw a, a piece that was profiled on the wrong side, something that I haven't seen in probably two years. Um, and I don't have new people here. Uh, <laughs> we, we haven't just changed anything. It's it's strange. Completely. It's the heat, right? Yeah, uh, I have to think that. <laughs> <laughs> I had a, a situation on a job about a month ago where we were doing a pantry out of probably the most expensive quartzite we had in our yard. And there was three or four book matches that ended up being diamond matches with the book the backsplash. And I was there to remeasure for the backsplash. I noticed that one of the book matches was completely backwards. The right piece got milled backwards. And at the time, my foreman was cutting. And out of everybody I got, nobody cares more than the foreman. Yes. And so um, when he and I sat down, I was like, how did it get ran backwards and the market backwards? What happened? We looked at the cameras and whenever he pulled up and saw the market, he got, hey, Jacob, there was two or three people that came out and said, hey, how do I polish his backsplash? And he got, when he came back, he got marked completely wrong because his brain was in 10 different places. Now, sometimes it's just as simple as getting interrupted at the wrong time. And, and like Eric was talking about, sometimes it's like these things seem to be contagious, right? Yeah. So, because they, they tend to pop up in, in, in groups at times. Um, so that is, yeah. And can I add something too? I think sure. one of the things, things we find too is role clarity. If expectations aren't set, or if not one person is accountable, no one's accountable. So it's not my, not my area, not my responsibility. 
Yeah, you get the, the crisscross, right? Who's yeah. pointing? They're all pointing away. Yeah, what's what Shelby's doing is is showing you the manufacturing coat of arms. Yeah, <laughs> not yet. <laughs> Wasn't me. Yeah, well, one of the things I try to tell my uh, shop manager because he may come in and say, "Well, this guy's not doing this," or "This guy's not doing this," and I, I try to tell him my first question is always, "Well, what did we do wrong? What have we not told him? What have we? How have we not set his expectations? Um, where did we fail him first? And sometimes it is that. Sometimes they are, you know, it is definitely the employee as well. Yeah, and, and these days it's it's a lot easier and to, to blame the employee because of the the challenges in finding good folks. But I'm a big uh, I'm a big Peter Drucker fan, and he basically says, you know, the 95 percent of these problems are caused by the system, you know, by your processes and by your managers, and that's kind of where we're headed. You know, the article title, the article, you know, what's the one thing um, to 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 look at when you're going to hire your next key manager. And I think one of the keys here is we look at these challenges is that changing and improving process outcomes and improving people performance. And I can tell you as a process improvement guy, Lean Six Sigma, Black Belt, TOC Jonah, Classic Industrial Engineering, done this kind of work in, in literally hundreds of companies. It really is impossible to change these outcomes, change these results, and make them stick without good management and effective leadership. And that's a key when you start looking at your next key management hire is I think it's important to prioritize those qualities over stone experience. So many times, you know, we think about this business being so complex, and yeah, it's complex, but none of us were born knowing it. At least I hadn't met anybody yet that was, that was born knowing. We all learned it. And so somebody who is capable of learning any other technology can learn the technical side of this business. And when I think about all the companies I've worked with for the last 20 years in this industry, one of the things that's a real common denominator is that this industry has got a, what I term a severe lack of management talent and leadership talent. A lot of times when folks go to hire key managers, they want to poach somebody from a competitor. Folks, in most cases, you're not going to find this capability in a competitor either. And one of the reasons for that is, is that when people get promoted to management positions or supervisor positions, in many cases in, in this industry, we tend to pick the, like, the best installer who has some decent people skills. Now he's the install manager. But he's a, not skilled or, or trained in being a good manager. I'm sorry, Shelby, you had a comment? I've got an opinion on that one. Go ahead. Why why do not why do employees not make the best managers or your best crew guys not make the best managers? And I've made that mistake a couple of times where I've made good employees managers and they end up quitting because the pressure's too much. Yeah. But uh it's kind of like throwing the helper. On the, the helper that's on the truck, they already know how to do everything. They know how to pull the seams, they know how to cut the backsplash. Without being labeled a manager, they're already doing it. But the moment you make them the lead installer, everything kind of goes out the window. And why is that exactly? And I've noticed a transition between becoming an employee and a manager. Used to, the time it takes to realize what the managers are actually dealing with versus what the employees deal with. Because there's always that little tension between the two. And 
if they don't do that transition right, it becomes too much stress for them to handle because it comes with a level of emotional intelligence you have to have to make the transition. That's part of it is emotional intelligence. Um, the transition, I don't think, is much of an issue as it is skill set. Um, and, and also, too, when you take someone from a group of peers and now all of a sudden they're in charge of their peers, that's a really difficult transition for anyone to make. I, I can tell you that even with professional managers, it, it's really a challenge. Um, let's look at why this can be a challenge for folks. You know, what are what are some characteristics that you folks know of good managers? What do you look for in good managers? Anybody? Communication. Uh, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Just effectively being able to uh, uh, communicate, interact, engage. Um, you, you can you know it when you see it. If, if it's a people person, someone who's comfortable uh, engaging with with employees, with all areas, all all parts of the organization. Okay. So communication is key. What else? I would say the the ability to um, to understand the process doesn't matter if I have no like you said no stone experience understand the process and uh, the bandwidth of the factory or the shop and you know they would quickly and very quickly say okay I can only do this much to the shop you know figure out I can do so much to the store I can do so, so much to this one PNC or two or whatever and they can. Um, allocate time for each workstation and understand the process and also, you know, understand what people are able to do um, and uh, set expectations for each section of the shop. Uh, they probably have a better ability to do that, to understand workflow than a guy that was in the shop. For example, we have a guy that was in the shop who was a really good guy in the shop. I put him in a shop manager, and to this day, you know, he just, yes, he can do it, but he doesn't completely get it. Yeah, and Dennis, you you hit a lot of good things in that, setting expectations, understanding uh, the, the the flow of people, uh, the, the flow of work, um, showing... Um, um, understanding the the flow of production, understanding capacity, yeah, a lot of a lot of good things that you hit in those comments. Um, Eric, I think you had a comment. Uh, I would think problem solving. That was what I hit on. Yeah, is way up there is is one. Okay, and a lot of times you'll have good technicians who are good at solving problems, but um, being able to solve problems through other people, being able to delegate, lead a and team to solve problems. So kind of a different dynamic on just the technical solution, so to speak. Yes. It's, almost like, it's almost like people yeah. problem solving is what we're looking for as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I also think it's super important when the job sheet goes into shock that that job sheet is studied, anticipate any pitfalls in the in the fabrication, what material are you using? You know, um, is the material going to crack? What's going to happen to it? You know, just kind of plan ahead and understand all the notes that are on the drawing. You know, I mean, if you're doing a lot of custom work. Dennis, that's quite a wish list you got there, man. That's a, that's a long list. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it's, it's a fact. It's, it's a reality, though. 
It is. And and your best technician really most of the time isn't always capable of doing all those things. Uh, Anthony Carred in the chat put in uh, being with the program, being aligned with core values, support and live in the mission, uh, good attitude over high skills. Um, what do y'all, what, Anthony, anything you want to clarify on that? Hear me, my uh, my mic is not the greatest, so how, how is my audio coming through? It's good. All right, yeah, Jack Welch, uh, CEO of General Electric for some time, I believe that they were going to be number one or two in the industry, not going to continue to play ball, and his motto was, people with good attitudes beat all skills. But people with skills with bad attitudes are really cancerous in an organization. So I think it goes back to your point. And uh, you might have someone that knows stone really well or even processes really well, but if they're not value add to the overall culture, are they really a, a good fit organization? Yeah, I think those are those are good points. Um, and I think all of you have had some really good things in here. I, the things I hit real quickly for in the article were, excuse me, were things like um, setting goals, you know, being able to set goals with deadlines, you know, daily, weekly, monthly for themselves and for their people. Communication, somebody's already brought up. I think one of the keys with communication is not just what they say, it's how they say it. Every person sometimes needs to be communicated with a little differently. Some folks you can be plain and direct with, other folks you gotta be really soft and massaging and you know everybody's got a different personality. So being able to adapt to people and I think the people component has come up a lot. Uh, delegation, what do you delegate? What do you not delegate? How do you be clear with whom you're delegating to what's expected and then what's your follow-up? look like to make sure it's actually happening and following up during the process of that other person executing, not waiting till the deadline's passed and then we're going to play who shot who because it's not done yet. You know, a supportive, more of a, of a, of a servant leader type uh, uh, follow-up. Adept using soft skills, we talked about uh, group problem solving, conflict resolution, those types of things. Time management, I think uh, Dennis either talked about that or alluded to it. Prioritizing not just their activities, managing their time, but also for their people as well. And then using all these skills to, to drive change. You know, how do you effectively drive that change? Pulling the team together, using all these skills and there's lots of other things we can put in here, managing with data and not emotion, all, all sorts of other things. And you've all had some really good points. The challenge is when you start to promote the technician into a, a leadership or a supervisory or a management type role, a lot of them don't have an opportunity to, to have picked up these skills. Um, what I've seen in small companies and large companies is, is you've got different personalities and different types of people in, in small companies than a lot of times you do in the larger companies. Because in smaller companies, folks are there because they're really good at what they do technically. You have to have people who can do a lot of things skill-wise. It's really important in a small organization. When you get in larger organizations, you know your, your HR person doesn't need to know how to make a countertop. 
Your accounting person doesn't need to know how to make a countertop. Your, your purchasing person doesn't need to know how to make a countertop. But your fabricators need to know how to make countertops. You know, so you've got more specialization. Uh, and so I think you see different different capabilities in, in companies and people who like working in that small company atmosphere typically haven't worked in those larger companies. And larger companies are the ones who've got the resources to do all the training, to go to take folks through supervisory skills, leadership skills, management skills. And, and they have people who have that experience who can do the coaching. They may even have, in many cases, have dedicated training staffs who do that type of thing. Uh, and that's something that's just not practical in, in a, you know, a $3 million, $10 million, $15 million company. You just don't see that. Um, one of the things I want, I want to share is kind of an example of when you get somebody who's got a lot of these skills that we're talking about and you bring them from another industry into this industry. I helped uh, a client hire a shop manager uh, about a year and a half ago. We brought this shop manager out of um, the machining industry. He was running uh, in, in different, different roles in his career, had run departments of CNC metalworking machines, CNC lathes, you know, presses, things like that. And so he understood production. He understood CNCs, the technology, new CAD, all that sort of stuff. Brought him in to this guy's shop. Spent a few weeks with him getting oriented to the industry. Started him off in, in install and spent a few days there. Worked his way backwards all the way up to sales, spending a few days. Spent about two weeks going through a good orientation. Once we turned him loose as shop manager, then over the next 30 days, he improved output of the shop by 20%, didn't hire anybody, didn't buy any new equipment, just understood how to manage production, how to lead people, and how to, how to get the results that were needed and do it in a positive way. And that's one indication of the difference when you find people with those skills. Uh, that's one indication of some of the impact that you can have when you've got the right folks. So that's just, I think, one good example. And this is, we're talking about just the management side of things. There's still the leadership side of things. What do you folks think uh, are some, some good characteristics of good leaders? And I'm going to call on Erin since she's been, been awfully quiet so far. Erin Wright. See you smiling over there. Um. I think some good characteristics, I mean, you have to, not, I mean, not necessarily be friends with your employees, but um, not micromanage in a sense. Um, take feedback from them and what works for them and incorporate that into making things run well, I guess, because if they're not on board, then nothing's going to work. Yeah, good. You have to take take what works for them and try and try and make it work. Okay. All right. Instead of just what you think is right. Okay. I was going to call on Kim Miller, but I think she knew that and she left. <laughs> All right. So you know it's coming, Jim. What are, you, what are some characteristics you know of, of, of good leaders, Jim Hurlstrom? Yeah, Jim's not got his got his uh, microphone working yet. Okay. All right, anybody else? Uh, characteristics of good leaders? Uh, being able to multitask and take on multiple 
things at once and like what he said before not getting distracted but just being able to connect with everyone and and still have that connection but still doing a lot of stuff at once okay all right i'd also say that they're, they're good observers they're good listeners they uh they listen more than they speak at times they collaborate with their team uh, they understand their team they, they meet people where they're at so they they go to people rather than hey you come to me they understand just the dynamics of their team and, and the individuals okay those are good what else take responsibility and accountability for what they're doing and they don't do the it's his problem not mine thing they uh understand the uh when you have a team it doesn't matter who's on your team you can't say well the people i have sucks so nothing's going to work they start digging and figuring out who they have what they're good at where their best place is how can we get this problem solved by who with who i have and they understand that it's not just me huh you must have read the article there's an article <laughs> the article that we're talking about <laughs> okay you're, you're hitting a lot of the right things there, Shelby. That's good. Yeah, accountability. They're accountable not just, you know, to their, their higher-ups, to the owner, their manager, whoever. They're accountable to their people. They're accountable to themselves. They take ownership of, of what's going on, ownership of the outcome. It's uh, a, a lot of what I'm trying to teach my management right now is exactly okay. that. It's not, I'm the boss, you do what I say. It's, this is how you have to go about it. It's basically through what's on that bullet point. So you're, you're trying to coach them through doing that. That's great. Um, they value teamwork and it's not just appreciating it. It's also knowing how to build effective teams. You talk about working with some of you talk about working with different people, different ways to get those results. That, that teamwork aspect is key. Um, adaptability, you know, I, I don't know if it's just my age and, and things seem to be moving so much faster, but, you know, business changes so fast these days. Um, and, and a good leader is going to inspire their team members to find creative solutions. They're going to, they're going to challenge them to step up and support them stepping up and do that in a really positive way. Um, growing their people. We talked about earlier about how hard it is to find good people. So dad always taught me, he grew up on a farm in the depression. He's always said, son, it's not what you got that counts. It's what you do with what you got that counts. The people you have are the people that you have. How do you get the best out of them? How do you grow them? Real leaders find ways to develop their people, find ways to challenge them and inspire them to grow, and they they know how to help grow those individuals to whatever their capability is so they can reach their potential. And I think that's a really big characteristic of leadership. Um, they, they build trust. They act with integrity. They're consistent in their ethics. They're honest. They're transparent things that all of you have already said. And there, of course, are other characteristics of good leadership too. One of the questions I've got for you is when you look at your current management team, do your key managers demonstrate these management and leadership qualities? Is that what you asked? I'm, I'm going to let that question just kind of hang there a minute. Some of you may not want to answer. All right. The answer may not be great. Is anybody really born with these? 
I think there are there are things like ownership and accountability and, and trust. I think there are probably some personality traits at times. But I've got a, I've got a friend that I, I do some work with, and he has a, a saying. He said, everything's taught. I had a client one time. He said, man, I didn't know my name was Jason, but somebody told me, you know. I think you can learn a lot of that. Um, that's kind of the same ideology I have. I, a lot of these I didn't know until I realized I was messing things up by being exactly what I shouldn't. And how, what am I supposed to do to fix it? Well, most people that do it also don't do it. So it's kind of what your job is as owner, CEO, or whatever, is to keep realigning what these are. Because even if you have all of them, your emotions are going to take them away from you at some point. And you've got to be able to demonstrate this, right? Mm -hmm. So one of the challenges is if, if your answer to the question, do your key managers that you have today, do they demonstrate these qualities, these leadership qualities, these management qualities? If you're answering no about any of them, what's the solution? What do you do about it? And Shelby, you were talking about lead by example. That's part of it. What else can you do? The same thing you're expecting them to do with their team. It's just not for the work itself. It's for leadership itself. You follow up and set goals for them to keep them money. You model the behavior. Them. Yeah. Do as I do. As I do. That's part of it. What else can you do to, to help? Um, yeah, Ed, what, what we've done is uh, we've sent our shop manager to a like a business mentor company where they help managers manage people. And he goes there every six weeks and um, spends an hour and a half or two and goes here with notes and they give them homework and they give them stuff to do and come back and then they discuss if the, you know he had any benefit to changing his approach and you know if he had a challenge of some sort. So that's what we've done. Just try and coach him because, like you said, that you know just a technician. Now you expect him to manage fourteen people. It's a bit of a tall order. Sure. How's, how's that working out? Unless you seen any progress? Well, um, I think in the case that we have right now, I think we have an attitude problem. And at this point in time, we feel like we're wasting our money. <laughs> okay. Because we just had too, we've had too many errors and just sloppy, sloppy work. And we've, we've, you know, we've tried to give it some time, but it's getting to a point where, you know, we may just have to say to them, look, you know, maybe you're better off just running a CNC machine, you know, work in the CNC department where you're good. And we're going to get, in fact, we're looking for another manager right now. So. Yeah, one of the challenges yeah. here when you look at all right, so how do we fix this? You gotta one of the things you gotta do early on is figure out is the person or the people we're talking about, can they make the trip? Do they have capability? And Tom, I see you guys unmuted. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, I was just gonna mention you can't teach somebody who doesn't want to be taught. This is true, you can leave that horse to water, right? Yeah, yeah. Yep. they gotta want to. I'm sorry, did you repeat that? <laughs> Oh, you can lead the horse to water, but you can't make them drink it. That's true. That's true. 
Um, Dennis, who is the organization that you're using? Can I? Are you willing to share that with us? Uh, it's still on mute. Okay. Um, yeah, there's a couple different possibilities. What Dennis is doing, it sounds like, is he's got a he's found a management training leadership training organization. He's sending his key person out to go there, and he said, I think once every six weeks. I, I think to to improve behavior. If I were going to make a recommendation on that, I'd probably want to have that happen maybe once every two weeks. I think more frequent reinforcement, more frequent follow-up. Um, I've done this kind of trick in the past. I don't do it now. I'm sorry, Dennis? Yeah, sorry. I was on mute. Um, we use a company called G2 Solutions. Okay. Um, but like the lady said earlier, sometimes you know, people can't change. Yeah, that's true. And that's that's one of the cha biggest problem challenges is figuring out, okay, so who um, you know who can really make this? Who is it worth doing this with? You know, who can who's got the potential to make that change? Um, the, the two basic solutions to to this, if you're trying to to grow your managers and and help them become better leaders and better managers, one is kind of like what Dennis is doing, and that's find an outside resource. I really like if you're big enough, you know, if you've got two, three or four managers, sometimes it's worth finding a resource and bringing them in-house to work with your team. And the advantage is it's, it's more costly, but one of the advantages is you can negotiate schedule, which is good. And so it works for both of you. And another one is, is they can do an assessment on your people and on your company and start dealing with maybe specific issues that may be more prevalent in your situation, may not be in somebody else's situation. Eric's deliverables and challenges may be different than Shelby's and different than Tom's, so to speak. So those are that's one aspect. It's a little more expensive. Um, another option is if you're a smaller company, maybe you've only got one manager or you're an owner and, and you just want to improve your skills, is go find a, uh, a local community college, local technical school, technical college. A lot of times they'll have supervisory skills training. They will have management skills training, leadership skills training. Um, it's going to be a lower cost. And one of the other, one of the disadvantages, but one of the disadvantages is that when you, you know, when, when they offer that, it's every Tuesday and every Thursday at 1045 for an hour. And so you're on their schedule. That may or may not work for you. Uh, so the kind of pluses and minuses both ways. But those are two ways to to help get some of the training. And as I've looked, you know, I worked for some as an employee and as a coach and consultant for you know billion dollar and up companies, large corporations. And when you've got large companies with you know deep pockets and, and good resources, they're putting their managers and supervisors through this type of training. Uh, that's something that smaller companies a lot of times can't afford to do. But I think when you start looking at things like hire somebody from outside who's got these skills, if you're going to fill a vacant position or create a new one, and you can see something like a 20% increase in output of your shop, as an example, the example I used earlier, then the, the cost of that training can really pay for itself very quickly. So that's something to think about. And if you're looking for a resource and, and you're not sure that that you can, you know, you're trying to find one in your area, I've helped clients find these before. In fact, I've got a client I'm working with now that that we both felt like they really needed to kind of up their management game, leadership game. I went out and found somebody to come in and do that coaching just for them. 
So it's, you know, if you, if you need help, want to figure some of this out, um, I'm happy to talk with you about it. One of the things I think is really important as you evaluate these different resources, if you start looking for this, is having a high frequency. I think every two weeks is kind of a minimum, preferably at least that frequent. And I think it's really key that that whoever delivers this does two things. Does One is does some assessment of the organization and assessment of the individuals on like a personality style or a social style where they kind of understand behavioral models. People who are more assertive or less assertive, more emotional, less emotional, there are different types of models. But I think learning a model like that helps a manager understand who, who they are and helps them understand who the people they're working with are so they can adapt better. And if the, the delivery person helps teach those skills, I think that's key. The other thing, the other component that I really like to see in these programs, and if I'm in the case where I've found these four clients, I've always insisted that part of the training be role-playing. I think it's critical that not only do you sit in the class and hear about this, watch videos, whatever, go stand up in front of the class with somebody else and practice these techniques and behaviors. Practice, you know, how do you how do you do how do you handle conflict resolution when people are so totally different? and role play that and make the mistake in a, in a safe space, so to speak. Uh, it's kind of like, you know, practice, you know, how much time does a pro football team spend practicing versus the time they spend in the game? When the managers and supervisors get a chance to practice their management leadership skills before they get out in the shop and have to use them, you know, it's that kind of, of option, that, that mentality. So I think that's, those are, couple of key things I'd look for if you're evaluating or considering a resource for this. I think it's worth doing. Um, one of the things people ask me a lot about is, you know, if you're, when you look at this industry, my first project 20 years ago, um, the average shop size, according to DuPont stats back then of their research, the average shop was about $3 million a year in sales. And there were about 6,000 fab shops in the country. The data I can find today says there's probably about twice as many fab shops. And the average size is still about $3 million in sales. One of the big differences I see is 20 years ago, you didn't see a lot of 20, 50, and $100 million shops. Today, there's a good many of them. So the question is, a question I get a lot is, how did, how did these guys get from three or four or $5 million to, to 50 million? How do you do that? Was it just luck? Did they buy it? You know, what would you do? And I think the answer is what we're talking about today. Good management skills, good leadership skills. They hired people. They had people who knew how to help make these changes happen and make them stick. And I think that's one of the keys. And an example I like to use is um, a couple of guys started off in a garage making circuit boards and computers. A guy named Steve Wozniak and another guy named Steve Jobs. And Apple Computer today is one of the largest corporations on the planet. How did they go from two guys in a garage to a company that size? Jobs was the guy who understood how the product needed to work, how the customer needed to experience what the design needed to look like. Wozniak was the tech guy. He could make it all happen. He could, he could design the circuits, design the logic, build the product. Neither one of them knew how to run a business. So how'd they get to be Apple? Well, they hired key managers that knew how to run businesses. 
And that's how they grew. So I just offer that that example just as another another example of, of why I think these things are so important. These are the keys that really make companies successful. If you go back to those bullets I listed on, on the early slide about all these challenges with sinks and splashes and all the other stuff we talked about, making those changes and making them stick. I think this is the key. You can, you can write all the processes and document them all you want. In fact, I was talking to an $8 million fab shop two days ago that has phenomenal documentation. And guess what? They were calling me because they're struggling with these same problems. 20% callbacks on their jobs for an $8 million company that has phenomenal documentation. It's management leadership, guys. Any other thoughts or comments? Yeah, I got one. Yeah, Jim. Welcome. Hello. Yeah, no, sorry about that. I was on my uh, my Mac Mini and doesn't have a microphone. So, ah. <laughs> uh, anyways, I was just curious if anybody out there has implemented or thought about incentive programs rewarding basically performance, good performance for any of their managers or employees, you know, um, like bonus program. We do a, bonus. we actually do an incentive program for the uh, employees in the shop. Uh, we, we do take away from the incentive program for any remakes that have been, um, you know, uh, for the last month, we keep track of, you know, all of the problems we've had. Any issues we've had in the shop basically comes out of that, you know, bucket. Uh, we probably have 10 people on that program that are a part of that incentive. Uh, but it, it also has things like if you're not wearing your PPE, you get docked. Um, you know, it, uh, if remakes are done, it's docked. And then the guys at the end of the, the month, the ones that have zero, I guess, strikes against them, uh, they get to share. I give the same amount out every month. Um, just say it's $2,500. I give that out every month. Um, but if two guys never, never called in sick, never had any, uh, uh, any of the PPE or personal issues, they will get a bigger share of what the other guys did again. Um, and we, we just kind of try to keep that in rotation. Um, I'm, I'm back and forth with it. Some sometimes I think it's great, and sometimes I think I'm just throwing money at uh, people that should be doing what they're supposed to be doing anyway. Does it create a competition yeah. aspect at all? Uh, no. Uh, the The problem that I see with it, or one of the problems I see with it, is I also have uh, installers. I have templators. They're not a part of the same program. Uh, you know, so anytime there is a, an issue, it's it's always like, well, it was the installer, it was the templator, you know, the, the whole yeah. thing. Um, I, I'm kind of thinking I want to try to figure out another way to incentivize over what we're doing right now. Mm -hmm. Anthony, I think you had a couple of comments. You popped in the chat. You want to share those with us? Yeah, can you hear me, Ed? Yeah. Yeah, we do a 10% performance incentive at the end of the year. 
10% net profit, 5% goes to our manager operator, and then 5% split the logs. Okay. Uh, it's pretty clean and simple, and all those errors end up costing them at the end of the year. So I do like that you're tracking a little bit more per employee. We recently installed some new equipment, and we are looking to go to a square foot model on certain positions, but we're not there yet. And Okay. Um, the, the whole issue of, of incentives is uh, that, that's a whole nother article, a whole nother webinar. <laughs> a lot of, a lot of dynamics around <laughs> it. Two, two things I will share. Um, one is, I because I get this question a lot from clients and, and from folks who just have a question about it. One is, uh, you know, they want to know, all right, so what's a good system? What works? What doesn't? And one of the things I have personally observed happen is when you put in a system of any kind like this and you don't have a good positive culture where people are willing to work together, you can create competition and create huge problems. Um, and part of the challenge you can have is if it's, if it, if your bonus is based on a metric, you've got to track and display that metric. It's got to be objective. It's got to be accurate and it has to be real time. So there's some there's some mechanical aspects of this that are really key. Um, another uh, another aspect of this, and it ties in directly with with this topic on this article, which is why I'm glad you asked it, Jim. Is when you look at incentives, you use money to drive behavior, and when you do that, you will get what you pay for. You will get also only what you pay for. If you're driving production, you want to get production up, so you're incenting production, you'll get production, you may or may not get quality, for example. You may or may not get things done on time or in the right order, and all sorts of aspects like that. And the final thing I'll say is that a bonus incentive type system can never be looked at as a substitute for good management and good leadership. If you don't have good management and good leadership and you put a, put a system like this in, you're probably going to have some pretty significant unintended negative consequences. So just that's just a caveat. Just beware. I run into so many business owners that, you know, as, as business owners, we're entrepreneurs and we're motivated to some extent by money. You know, it's part of our part of our yardstick for how we measure success. Not everybody who works for you is motivated the same way. So don't assume, don't make the assumption that they are and you can't. And so that's one of the reasons you can't just use money as a substitute for good management, good leadership. Yeah, um, I was going to comment there, um, Ed. We tried the square foot system and then we figured out that we're not always making a profit um, because like you say, the errors, um, negate, you know, they, they come into play. And the other thing, and we have real-time data. We, we developed a piece of software that gives us real-time data of daily production uh, without having to input anything. It just comes up through our system the way we work. You know, we have a system where the guys in the shop check off the job and, it, and it, it's a live data system that gives us our square footage and everything. And so at each and we know exactly what revenue we're doing every day, and then the gross profit 
You also know because it doesn't come through every day. It takes about a week because you've got to enter the amount of material used. But I, we are kind of throwing around the idea of gross profit and bonusing it on gross profit because we know what's our break even. And if we exceed it by so much, then we know we're in good shape. So that is, for us, we think that's the only way of figuring this out because we can roll back in our system, we also count the redos and we put a value of the redos in our system. So the, the gross profit will get reduced. If there's a lot of redos, the GP goes down because it's a minus. You know what I mean? Yeah. So anyways, it's another, like you said, it's another discussion. It's quite complex. Yeah, you can get, and, and one of the one of the other characteristics that's really critical is, is real-time feedback. We need to know today that we win yesterday or not. One of the challenges with a monthly bonus that doesn't have any any feedback for performance during the month is that I can't tell you what I had for lunch last week. Certainly can't tell you what I did last month that's going to impact my bonus this month. So they're they're real. The time aspect of this is really important. I don't want to get down a rabbit hole on these systems because we could we literally, literally could talk for hours about this one topic alone. So great question, Jim. Yeah. Um. We're at our, our, our hour time limit. We're at the, the top of the hour here. Um, I want to thank you for spending part of your, your Thursday with me here today, and, and thanks for all the participation. I think the input has been awesome. I uh, always appreciate that from folks. Um, one thought I like to always leave folks with on, on these webinars is that your business is running exactly the way you've designed it to run. And I think that's true for every business that's out there. And so if you're not happy with how it's running, obviously you need to make some changes. If you want to talk about some ways to make those, hit the website, press the button, schedule a call, be good to talk with you about it. Next month, our article is, how to, is do your own push-ups to build a great business. Some good business. There's some good business management systems out there. A lot of good ones. There, some are better than others based on what you need. The question we'll talk about is how do you make one of these work well for you? So that's what we'll be doing uh, next month. Look for that article the first of the month, which I think is next week, Slippery Rock Gazette. Uh, so thanks again for spending some time with us today. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Fabricators Coach Podcast. If you've got any additional questions about this particular episode or anything else, please check us out at fabricatorscoach.com. Thanks. Have a great day.